Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Get ready for Mind Shock with Dr. Ron Dalrymple, the premier podcast in the world bringing you hidden truths about your mind's incredible powers. Get ready to free your mind. Everybody, welcome to Mind Shock. Dr. Ron Dalrymple. The show will take you to the outer limits of your mind and to the inner limits. The inner limits. Think about that. The true final frontier. Our theme for this show is evolution of the supermind. Now, I began working at NASA at 17 years old, way back in ancient times, back in antiquity, where we put people in space. Back then, we called space the final frontier. That was really a huge thing. But at 19 years old, after taking many classes at Maryland University where I was a student, I studied math and physics, and I got into psychology. I started seeing all kinds of connections, which linked up all the major fields of psychology with various principles of mathematics, such as calculus, topology, which is a specialty area, as well as quantum physics ideas. I saw it all fit together into a new paradigm. So it creates kind of a paradigm shift. So at 19 years old, while at NASA, I made a discovery and I realized that if the mind is an energy field that transcends the physical brain, then the true final frontier is not outer space, it's inner space. It's the exploration of the true powers of mind because we are the observer. We're the ones observing space. We're doing the explorations. We're the focal point. So our mission is to take you to the true outer limits of inner space. Think about that, the outer limits of inner space. So our motto for this show is Supermind, Superbody, and Super Spirit. Now, in today's chaotic world, there's a revolution sweeping the globe about who we are, what we are doing here on this planet. A mind revolution that is changing everything. Whole new theories of mind that turn old science on its head, upside down. Old science is three-dimensional and limited to the physical senses, and some might say, there's actually an immune system blockage against new ideas. We have that in a moment with our special guest today. I really like that concept. It's an immune system blockage of new ideas. We're developing new models of science that consider N dimensions as the letter N, a mathematical term, approaches infinity. Today we have a great guest, Courtney Marcassani. Courtney, how are you doing? Hi. I'm great, Dr. Ron. I love your lead-in. There's so many things. My mind's just going in every direction. I'm so excited to see where this is going to go. <laughs> well, it's great having you here. I really enjoyed your book, Four Gifts of Highly Sensitive People. It was very well done. And you, you struck upon something which I think is profoundly important, the idea of, of sensory intelligence. You normally focus upon intelligence. There was a big thing years ago, John Goldman, about you know, emotional intelligence and so forth, and all the books that come out about that. We've also looked at, you know, cognitive processes, concrete, abstract thinking, moving into spiritual intelligence. But backtracking to sensory intelligence is profoundly important as well to understand that. I think you did a great job of that in your book. And please tell us how this all started for you. You got on the path in life that led to this tremendous book. Well, I did start to become, I guess, awake or aware of this idea of sensory intelligence until I had a very specific personal experience it was precognitive so I was able to through a dream see something that was going to happen in the future I didn't know what it meant at the time because it was a dream Um, but then like a month later part of my dream actually happened in real life and I saw it just as I saw it in my dream so it was like a mirror reflection and that woke me up a little bit and it was a, a, a danger, a warning. And so I knew that there was something there, like an early early, early warning system within me. <laughs> um, I didn't know how it worked. And so for 20 years, 
I've been working on it, and the result is four gifts of the highly sensitive, because I feel like I figured some things out along the way, and sensory intelligence is really what I dove into to understand it, and how it works for people, mm-hmm. and how uh, different types of sensitives become gifted, or they're able to develop these talents that come through sensory intelligence. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that uh, precognitive incident was about the, the fire with the candle and the bamboo? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh-huh. it. I didn't know if you wanted me to go into detail or not, but... That was was later, actually. There was two other experiences before the candle and the fire and the bamboo, and I'll just Uh be brief about it. Uh, I was in Missoula, Montana, and I was going to uh, school there. I was getting my bachelor's in psychology, and I had a dream about a a fellow. He was a guy who I didn't really know very well, but he knew my husband at the time. And I saw a dream where he ran through a stop sign. Police pulled him over. They opened the trunk, and in the trunk they saw all kinds of guns, ammo, drugs, all kinds of drugs. I had no idea the kind of things he was into. So anyway, that was interesting in the dream. But then the next part is the part that was pretty profound. I saw him in front of a judge in our local uh, courthouse with his hand shackled behind his back, and he was being sentenced. And then I woke up from the dream, and I was obviously... Uh, you know, afraid. I woke my husband up. He was laying right next to me, and I said, hey, you know, I'm I'm afraid about this guy, and I think that you need to stay away from him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just basically said, I, you're being paranoid, and we don't even hang out with him that much anymore, so I wouldn't worry about it. Well, mm-hmm. a month later, here we are sitting in our living room watching the nightly news on the Missoula channel, and here's the guy, just like it was in my dream, with his hands behind his back, shackled, and the, and the judge was sentencing him. So he and I just looked at each other, and it was unbelievable because mm-hmm. um, I just mm-hmm. had the dream. So that was the first experience. Then there was others. Then there was the fire. So there was a couple things that led up to it that kind of taught me to pay attention to my intuition before the fire happened or the prevention of the fire. I should be more accurate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Do you want to hear about the fire? <laughs> Oh, yeah, sure. Please, please tell us. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was working at a trauma center there uh, on Capitol Hill in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, Washington, and um, I had gotten a divorce by this time, um, so I was a single mom, and a friend of mine asked me to um, move our other friend's bed out of her apartment because they were going to move in together and go to New York cross-country, and it was a lot of money. So they were going to pool their funds. So I said, okay. And um, I went to go pick up my friend and her two boys, and as they got in the truck, I immediately felt the feeling of don't move the bed. It was a gut reaction, and I heard a voice say it. So those exact words, don't move the bed. And so I didn't know what that was all about, but I felt uneasy, and I we uh, drove across town, all the way across Seattle. And, on a, you know, on a evening, it gets very, very... Uh, trafficy and backed up. It's worse now. But anyway, then it was still bad. And all along the way, I just kept feeling, don't move the bed. Don't move the bed. And I felt a, like a, just a nausea in my gut. So by the time we go over to our other friend's apartment, she's off work. I'm breaking the bed apart. I have all my tools, all the pieces, and we're getting ready to load it in the truck. And I just said, we need to leave now. We need to go back to Rebecca's apartment now. And so she got in the truck with the boys, and we went all the way across town. And she looked at me, and she said, now you're really starting to worry me and freak me out. And I said, I don't know what it is, but I feel like we need to get back there. So we went back. We went upstairs to the second floor of our apartment. The boys are with us, like kind of antsy. We opened the door, and there was a candle that she left on the windowsill and a a big, thick river of wax that ran all the way in front of the door from the living room windowsill. And so it was... um, it was a kind of like a crisis averted, but then the boys started to get really excited, and I was kind of just stepped into the kitchen to kind of take a breath because I had no idea what that meant or what happened. I went in where the boys were screaming and <laughs> pointing, and here above the three-wick candle burning was a bamboo light shade over the window, and it was black, and it was expanding, and it was, um, yeah, it was burning. It was about ready to ignite, and all that smoke had filled the hallway and kind of filled up the whole second-floor landing. 
So that's what really transformed my belief system. And then I was changed, and I couldn't go back. I had to kind of look into what is this. How is this have, able to be, ha- you know, how are you able to know somehow without knowing? Right, exactly. Exactly. How could the mind know that unless something else is functioning there beyond the usual levels of sensory awareness or perception? That's always a fascinating thing. Exactly. You know, when I was in, yeah, when I was in Estes Park, Colorado, I had some friends from Boulder. This is way back in the 70s, right? But we didn't have phones back then. That's all, you know, waiting for cell phones. A lot of folks didn't have home phones, you know. Cause we Look, I'm on my family there. farm right now visiting, and we yeah. used to have what we call the party line, where all three of the oh, houses on the land <laughs> connected through the same oh, phone yeah. line. So I know what you're, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you, you talk along, and a third voice says, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Courtney, are you Wait on the phone? Can you please hang up? <laughs> Oh, my grandmother. Yeah. Yeah, Graham. But it's one morning at 6 a.m. I woke up from a very vivid dream. I saw three friends of mine from Boulder knocking on my front door up in Estes Park. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I saw what they were wearing. I saw the clothing, everything, how they were standing. At 9 o'clock, there's a knock on the door I go to it, and those three are there. I hadn't seen them in three months. I had no idea they were coming. So how could I have a precognitive dream to see exactly how it transpired at 9 o'clock. Well, they made a decision. They said, they got up around 6, they all said, hey, let's go up to this part and see Ron. So how could I pick that up? Right. Well, the mind has all these functions we don't know a whole lot about, but these are not unique because millions of people over the world have had these kinds of experiences. Right? From your research, well, yeah, there are some studies. I mean, some of the first studies on this kind of thing was were done, um, you know, through parapsychology and the parapsychological um, branch of psychology, and they were really interested. And But the problem was at the time, especially like during the 70s, they couldn't really get consistent tests, not in regular academia anyway. I don't know about some of the government uh, stuff that might have been in some silos, uh, you know, in their different divisions like the CIA or the FBI, but in the general collective of academia, it was inconsistent. The results were inconsistent. And one classic example of that is when Dr. Stanley Krippner did the uh, dream telepathy study at Maimonides, and he got great results, you know, where they had targets between two different individuals. They gave a sleeper the protocol of how to connect telepathically, and then they would have the the review after, and they had shown that dream telepathy was real. But then a bunch of uh, other folks tried to follow up and replicate the study, and they couldn't. And so that's kind of some of that inconsistency that you see over the years where a lot of people say, you know, skeptics say, well, they've never been able to find it. Well, that's not true now. There have been studies that have been able to target certain regions of the brain that have shown uh, effects of telepathy. Yeah, right, exactly. In fact, uh, I've seen studies done where in a group called Silva Mind Control, which was teaching this class over many, many decades, I think they're, I don't know if they're still doing it or not, but I took one quite a few years ago. When you go into a deep state of alpha, you do this repeatedly, you know, from the beta state, and it's just down to alpha, right, not, not deeper, just going to alpha through deep relaxation. It's a group of people doing this over a period of several days. And then towards the end of the, the class, which I think is like three days, the end of class, you break up into pairs, and you each have five people you know, and you write them down on a card, their name, their age, where they live. It's the other person's job to go into Alpha and tell you what their medical problems are, not knowing the person at all. Mm-hmm. What we had in that class was like a 93% success rate of being able to intuitively tap in the other person's mind and read information about people they knew who were ill. It's not amazing. How could you possibly do that unless something else is functioning there? Which is really like what and there's the other idea examples. For... Yeah, and there's other yeah, examples. Quickly, there's Dr. Uh, yeah. Rupert Sheldrake, who did the morphogenic field studies on telepathy and phone calls and animals who know when their owners are coming home because they wait for them before right. they arrive. And, uh, you know, there's mm-hmm. other kinds of examples of it through, like, Edgar Casey, you know, the sleeping right. prophet who would get information, futuristic information, other kinds of things, and they didn't know at the mm-hmm. time when they were, you know, documenting all his records that he was probably in different types of deep wave sleep, like clinical deep level sleep. And so that's the really fascinating thing that I think about all the studies and what science is, uh, you know, honing in on is that part of the brain that allows you to, in a way, lucid dream and control different types of physiological things in your body, like your 
like your, um, you know, you can, they did one study where you could do your finger twitch while you were in lucid dreaming because they would give you a protocol. And then um, that was Stephen LeBurge's work where he went in and put eye tracking, um, you know, stuff on people's eyes, electrodes and things to see how they could see, track REM sleep and then if they could give the sleepers a protocol, same kind of thing, and then they could communicate with them through finger, finger gestures and movements. So that's another another study that's been done. But the thing that's interesting to me is that all these things are kind of buried. They're not common knowledge unless you're really into the field of that kind of research or have been for a long time. It's not that's public, right. really. Yeah, exactly. It is true that modern-day science tends to be three-dimensional and make it forward time. And a lot of people have their egos invested in certain ways of thinking. Yeah. So new ideas are, are blocked and sabotaged, and they don't, they don't want you in that space because they, they rule like certain journals and whatnot and people do the reviews. Yeah. The peer review, it's not really your peers, all those people who think very, very differently who reject these kinds of ideas. They don't, they don't even consider it. So it's difficult to get these ideas and concepts out there in the first place, less in certain arcane publications, which are generally ignored by the general scientific community because, again, they're threatened by it. So it's like, I like what you reference in your book, too. There's an immune system disorder Blocking out the new system, stuff, right? Yeah, it's reject. Yeah. The scientific community kind of tends to reject these studies as if it was an immune system um, rejecting, right. you know, a virus, new information. Yeah, exactly. You know, That's our well is, is not believing kind of right. mode and That's mentality. Right. And so it's exactly what happened to Dr. Ripper Shellworth when he did his TED Talk. He did a TED Talk, and he got panned. And Ted, the TED Talks rejected him and kicked him out because he was so controversial. But then, you know, that's important, too, to listen to people that you don't necessarily believe in their culture or their belief systems. It's right. important to, you know, not be so rigidly dogmatic through Western right. science that we're rejecting the modern pioneering thinkers of today. That's what I see as kind of the paradigm that's happening. So when I wrote this book, I was trying to, in a gentle way, share what I had learned to try to help that movement, to try to shift things forward, um, even in an under, underground kind of subterranean way, to let people know if you're looking for this information, here it is. And I knew that it would find the people who were looking for it because that seems to be how it all works. When you're looking for something and you want to understand about psychic phenomenon, it comes to you when you need it. That's what I've experienced. How about you, Dr. Ron? Yeah. No, no, I think it's absolutely true that we do what we send out returns to us in life form in many, many cases. You know, you're in this type of field. That what I find happening is that we work on certain things during the week or whatever, and I start reading a person's book who's up for the next interview. There'll be all kinds of correlations what they're uh -huh. talking about, what I've been experiencing during those prior weeks. Just amazing yeah. correlations. I feel the right same. Yep. I have the same phenomenon yeah. happen. Or when I, when I need information, yeah. I have just reviewed it. That always blows me away, the synchronicity. The synchronicity. Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. Well, it really parallels quantum field psychology, which I developed since 1969. You can imagine the response I got when I told some scientists at NASA, you know, I'm working on this idea that the mind is an energy field that transcends the physical brain. One guy said, well, you should go live in California. Others gave me a lot of blank stares and just, I got all kinds of, you know, well, since then, lots of ridicule, of course. But one doctor there, really a great guy, who was uh, Dr. Adler, who was a physicist from New York City. I knew his his son was in the uh, program with me at Maryland. He ended up as a psychiatrist in Baltimore, as a matter of fact. But Dr. Albert said, you know what? You should go research that. And he's the only guy there who said, go look into that. Yep. He did that kind of open, creative, flexible mind. So That's wonderful. That's the way that the scientific community should be, is to support yeah. other people who have an inkling or an idea or an inspiration. God forbid exactly. we should have an inspiration, and even though we don't have proof for it. I mean, tell that to Einstein. I mean, the guy was at the, on the level where he was thinking intuitively and creatively, using music as a way to tap into the field and receive the, you know, the elegant physics that only he could. So, yeah, let's go ahead and turn those people off and say, yeah, you, you're, you're not valued or what you're looking at is not worthy. But that seems to be what's going on right now. So I, I feel like my voice is part of this movement for a specific type of person who is not able to find what they need, maybe in their community or in their home life, um, so that they can build that strength within themselves and trust within themselves that, yeah, this is a very real phenomenon. 
And you don't have to believe me or my stories, but you might find yourself in here in a way that you've never understood before. And that's what I hoped to do, so people could be validated, exactly. especially the gifted sensitive, because it can be difficult. Yeah, exactly. We're well, going to break down for audience your four, your four types of sensitive people and so forth, your four types of sensory intelligence. Please well, just simply that. the four types are intuitive, empathic, visionary, and expressive. And those are four different types of patterns that I saw emerge when I started digging into, well, my first stop was intuition, because <laughs> that's what happened oh, to me. Sure. And so I wanted to right. understand what made that possible. And so from the years of research into intuition, it, you know, it's such a fascinating field, and people come at it from a lot of different ways. But my way of looking at it is that these folks have a processing ability that's just, it's kind of hard to define, but what happens is when they want to work on any kind of problem or even just they're moving about the regular day, they perceive and get information from the unconscious in lightning fast speed. So it's an A to Z, not knowing how or why you get there, but knowing the answer is right and is true. And so that extends beyond just regular decision making. It can go into, like you mentioned, spirituality and how spiritually you can receive intuitive things that help guide you on your path. It, there's innumerable ways that it works, but it's essentially those individuals have a storehouse of things, of information that they have, and they're able to pull it up really quickly, faster than fast. The second one is empathy and empathic individuals, and they have the ability to sense in their own subjective experience or their own feelings, other people's feelings, I think that's a, the simplest way to say it. But it's not just feeling other people's feelings in their own mind and body and spirit. It's also being able to discern other folks um, that they come in contact with, their motivations, their drives. Uh, they're so perceptive about understanding people's passions and kind of knowing, you know, there's a lot of overlap between empathy and intuition, but kind of knowing what's needed in the situation. Um, empaths, <clears throat> there are different types of empaths, so I go into that in the book very specifically, like compassionate empaths, spiritual empaths, um, social justice empaths. So the different kinds that kind of emerge as, as these empaths, these gifted empaths developed their empathy along the way. Then there's visionaries. Visionaries are individuals who can see in their mind's eye, kind of with their spatial awareness, the whole field. And they use that field, use their imagination, their creativity to solve problems. It's not just problem solving, though. They're doing it in unique ways where they're using their visual spatial awareness um, to detect and determine patterns, visual patterns. And so that also goes into the different levels of visionary ability and how the brain finds these patterns and then applies it in reality. Okay, and then the last one is expressive. Expressives are the ultimate creators. They go into an environment, they feel and sense the meaning of the moment, even when they're contacting or communicating with others, and they synthesize that creativity and they bring it through themselves, through writing, mm -hmm. art, painting, making music, anything that's creatively artistic. Exactly. Well, yeah, it's really fascinating, that breakdown. We get that, we get into more about that after a break. But it really is fascinating to look at that process, being able to access from the ego mind, the much higher mind, which I believe is accessible to all of us, and bring it down in different forms through the world to create whatever you want. I want to talk about some of the luminaries industry have done this as well in a brilliant way, and about some of the folks who I think incorporate all four of these approaches. Folks, we're here today with Courtney Marcosani in her fascinating book, Before Gifts of High Sensitive People. We have a fascinating read about sensory intelligence, which ties into emotional intelligence as well as IQ and creative intelligence and so forth. We forgot some other books out about but We'll be back here in a few minutes. A break for a sponsor. We'll be right back with Courtney Marcusani. Come on back, folks. We'll be right back in a moment. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything, and once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. 
View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. ASMC, the premier German company that supplies everything for adventure, from outdoor clothes to outdoor gear, even backpacks. Lots of quality and lots of specials. To start your adventure, go to HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ASMC. Paradise Found 2015 is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throw in a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, Build muscle or just live healthy. Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. A complete mind development course, The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind towards success. But it's not a boring read. You are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business, and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery, a powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. The Inner Manager at Amazon.com. Remember, positive impacts. www.healthylife.net. Back, folks. Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shock. He was a fascinating author in person. Courtney Marcassani has a great book out called Four Gifts of High Sensitive People. Courtney, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm real good. Thanks. Okay, welcome back. I was intrigued to hear about the, the four different approaches and whatnot. I want to talk about, uh, in your book, you talk about the conscious overlay idea. It occurred to me a long time ago that what we do is we download information from the superconscious mind, you know, there's much higher frequencies of thought in the world of abstract thought and beyond it to the spiritual world. We're able to access those ideas and bring them down to the ego mind, the conscious mind, and we open up those channels by certain practices on a daily basis. We can do this virtually all the time. Some of the great luminaries in history have done exactly that. First of all, how do you, how do you see that process? Well, I kind of mentioned one of my favorites, which was Einstein. So, you know, yep. Einstein had what they what they thought was probably dyslexia. So immediately right there, he's looking at the world in a different way. He's attuning through his intuition. He's using his own skill set to tap into the field, the one that works best from him. So he had already developed certain talents by the time he became a patent clerk and started writing about this stuff. And so it's similar with other individuals who have differences or talents or specialness, however you want to put it. They have a more of a magnified ability to track, perceive, track, and then watch as the ability unfolds into a solution in any way you want to look at that. So they have sometimes better ability at hearing. They can hear different pitch. They can hear different um, rhythms of life. They feel interconnected with time, spatial awareness. And sometimes these individuals also have um, multi-sensory awareness, which I also talk about in the book, where there's a convergence between these different types of perception and having more access through their perception to information in the field. And so the way they discern that is through their own specialness. And then they perceive it, and then they make sense of it, and then they typically use it in one way or another in their life. It's a very practical way of yes. looking at it. Yeah, that's really fascinating. You think uh, there's another example you drew in your book about the idea that people go through trauma, experience PTSD, often develop, maybe this helps to invoke some of those higher powers or access to them so they can learn to adapt to a more threatening world in order to survive. There's a thing called proprioception, which you mentioned, and I, I talked to a guy about that years ago. He was a combat veteran in the Marine Corps from Vietnam. He said that when he was out in the field, he grew up on a farm, so you had a track and all that, and hunting. He was out there in the field, in the jungle, that he could sense 
the presence of the enemy. And it saved his lives, he and his, his platoon, many times because he would tell the guys to get down, hang down, until the NBA would get up and walk on. But he would sense their presence. Many people talk about that proprioception. And, and thinking about PTSD, many folks go through traumatic childhoods or perhaps experience neglect and so forth. So they evolve these powers and abilities to function at a much higher level. Like a good example is Eric Clapton. You saw his movie, Clapton in 12 Bars. It's really a heartbreaking story, but very, very powerful. He's basically thrown away by his mother. He was born in March of 45. His real father was a Royal Canadian Air Force officer who returned to Canada immediately after the war. So the mother was humiliated in those days, of course, having a child at a wedlock was a, one of the ultimate sins. So she gave Eric to her, her parents, and she went to Canada in search of this, this ex-boyfriend. In the case, his grandparents raised him. He didn't know they were his grandparents until much later, he found out. His mother came to England when he was 12. He confronted her basically said, hi, Mom, nice to meet you. She goes, well, you're not my son. What are you talking about? She totally rejected him. So at 13 years old, when he turned 13, his grandmother bought him his first guitar, and he poured all his emotions of heartbreak and rejection and loneliness into the guitar. And for the next two years, he was playing like 12, 13 hours a day, so by 15, he started playing in the band. By 17, he was world famous. But then he played about 10,000 hours, or some estimates he'd be practicing 10,000 hours to become expert. So he manifested this incredible gift. He combined rock and blues and rhythm into a whole new musical sound. So he combined not just his powers of, of intuition, I would say, of picking up ideas, whatnot, but empathy, also vision expression, because he knew he was creating a whole new musical form. So he might be one of those guys who incorporated all four of your approaches. I'm sure there's others in history as well. How do you feel about that? Well, I think that you can see the patterns. When you start to look into the biographies of individuals who are highly successful and have figured some things out, a lot of times they have lost a parent. It doesn't have to yeah. be just through death. Sometimes it could be through abandonment. Sometimes it's through neglect. Just, you know, every day not focusing on, you know, the child's attention and the tuning attentionally. And so that does seem to be one of the um, things that can contribute. I'm not going to say it's a causal factor because we don't know that. But when you start to look at all the different examples of individuals who are highly successful, because it's one of the things that they did is to track their stories because we don't really have any other way to do it. And I talk about them in the book, the different types of people that I kind of watched and looked at their story and then broke it down for the readers to be able to go, look, you're not alone. This is what this individual struggled with, but this is also how they, how they pushed through. And so my approach is that sensitivity is a big part of that. And the reason why I think my work is a little bit different than other work that's out there is because sensitivity has been called uh, biological sensitivity to context. And so because it has been determined that sensitivity is an evolutionary trait, it's, they don't know why. They have a hypothesis about why it comes about and that some people who have sensitivity have experienced adverse experiences or more intense experiences, and it could be a way to mitigate some of that. And so that example that you're talking about could be one example about that, where he was aware, highly aware. And so the thing that maybe he connected with that gave him that feeling of connectedness and deepness and could almost maybe quell some of the existential heartache was the music, was the ability to connect on that level. And so many artists have had that experience or some other tragedy in their life. And so when I looked at the expressives, that was one of the things that I really tried to hone in on. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They found ways to express the deep heartache, the deep emotions they went through and as you mentioned, you'll find some of the greatest successes in the world through very difficult childhoods, which then drove them, and they had the impetus to try and find something better, to try and integrate things together, to differentiate. That's something we talk about in uh, quantum psychology, about being a polymath. The idea of being a polymath is that you mm -hmm. analyze the field, where you break it down to all its minute parts. You can even do differentiation, which is a mathematical term. It means you compare every variable to every other variable. As they both change continuously, think about that, the complexity of that, and you do that for all these different variables in your mind's eye, or in place of, place of Clapton, you did that with all the different musical scales and different musical forms. You studied every song you could find with the blues and learned it. You could play it in every different key, which means you're playing different chords and different notes as you shift it around. So you learn to differentiate and break it down, then you reintegrate it into higher forms. And that's what every theorist does. You take a field, 
you break down and analyze to a supreme degree, then you reintegrate it into something entirely different. So you combine differentiation with integration, the two basic functions of calculus. How do you see that? Well, I think that in the Eric Clapton example, it's so interesting that you're using him as an example because of his, you know, his early life, you know, abandonment by his mother due to circumstances. Mm -hmm. You know, they, the artists have the ability to synthesize. So I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm actually putting it together in my own thought process and hearing it and receiving it as a synthesis. And so that's why we know songs like I Shot the Sheriff. Right? I'm not sure if he did it with his first group was, was it White Linen? What was the name of that first group that he was in? Well, it's okay. We'll find it afterwards. But we know uh, you look yeah. lovely tonight. And we know we right. feel his depth of his connectedness in his mm -hmm. own life to these issues. And after he lost his son. Because he's yes. bringing that about through his own embodiment, the way he's doing it. And everybody else taps into it. It's a vibration. That's what music is. And so we, yeah. he's able to help other people heal when they hear his music, or it might be a more powerful memory because he's an artist, and that's what they do. They shed light into our cultures and our communities and help us heal. Right. Well, he, he talked about that. that yeah, probably. He talked about he, he felt at times he had made his music very kind of aggressive because of what he'd gone through. So some of the songs do express anger, potential violence or thoughts of violence, but also deep, powerful feelings of love, the great uh Transcendental loving, like with Layla, some of those songs are absolutely incredible, which he made of Dwayne Allman. So it's amazing that he learned how to, or found ways to express his deep, powerful emotions. Folks, we're here today with Courtney Marcassani, a fascinating book, The Four Gifts of Highly Sensitive People. We're going to take a short break. Be right back. a fun, stimulating program that can teach you how to develop your own powers of creation. It uses a three-part mind, stimulating approach to get you to develop your own creative thinking. It will help you create a powerful self-image and helps you see how you can take creative action. You'll develop your thinking power and your skills, and you can do this in eight days. Get Dr. Ron Dalrymple's book, Eight Days to Creative Power, on Amazon.com. Overcome your problems with this step-by-step -step guide. So get Eight Days to Creative Power on Amazon.com. Get high-quality glasses, sunglasses, and prescription lenses at eyeglasses.com. Choose from over 250,000 items and 400 brands. Already have frames? Get replacement lenses. It's easy. Go to our advertiser page and click eyeglasses.com. A complete mind development course, The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind towards success. But it's not a boring read. You are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery. A powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. The Inner Manager at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, build muscle, or just live healthy, Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything. And once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network. Welcome back, Dr. Ron Dalrymple and Mind Shock. We've got Courtney Marcus on your fascinating book, The Four Gifts of Highly Sensitive People, which also means highly creative people, even geniuses. Those who combine the four levels, I think, we could talk about as being the level of genius and highly create, high creativity, which brings totally new forms to the world, which didn't exist before, which they synthesize many different levels. 
And there's also a transformational process here we might talk about where a person doesn't just go from 0 to 180, but they go through a transformation of their own consciousness, going from an abused, neglected state or abandoned state to a much higher level of integration. How do you see that, that issue of transformation to a higher state? Well, it's, it goes beyond everyday consciousness. I mean, that's one of the simplest ways I can describe it. Because we have what we take in through sight, sound, touch, taste, and, you know, feeling, smell. And I include feeling, too, because um, feelings are so important to our perception and what we take in. Um, and so I think that when you go through the transformative shift, you get expanded. Your perception expands. And so there's a very clear progression if there's any confusion about it. There's almost like a formula that you use so you can break it down. You know things. You know things on a wider uh, span that you've, than you knew before. So you get some kind of truth, some inner knowing. It could be also called veridical, veridical perception, where you actually have a, almost an out-of-body state. It doesn't have to be out-of-body, but then you're picking up this um, truth in an environment, that you, that which you did not know before. And so there's one aspect of it. The second aspect of, of it is that extreme expansiveness, where you feel connected to the world around you in a deeper way. Some people have described it as seeing vibration off of trees or flowers, where things just look like they're a bit outside their actual material shape. So it's kind of, it would be like an aura. That would be the classical term. So you can see how things are blending into space through that vibration that's come up a couple of times in the conversation. That's another way to tell. You also become more sensitive. So your sensory experience is augmented. It's expanded. So you can see more, hear more, feel more, taste and touch more than you could before, or you notice it as being more intense. That's another part of it. So that's three unique things that happen from that transformation that just continue. And sometimes it develops more over your life, or sometimes it's a, tra a traumatic experience, like we already talked about, where you go out of a uh, reality in an in ordinary state of mind, and then you come back. And then there's people that describe it as a contact with somebody from the other side, or sometimes it's near death. So it depends. There's a lot of different avenues into that transformation. But typically the sensory augmentation is one of the biggest linchpins between all of it, all the different types of extraordinary experiences. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that can start. I mean, it's interesting to focus on sensory intelligence the way it comes in, acts as an instigator, a person experiences that, and they arrange it into different perceptual shifts, then they move into perhaps greater emotional intelligence, creative intelligence, and so forth. So losing levels of concrete thinking, then abstract thinking, and even beyond this paradigm and transcendent thinking in spiritual realm or spiritual intelligence, people understand that we're not just these physical beings, rather we're spiritual beings having an earthly experience, like Carl Santana said, many other great musicians, great creators understand that we are the spiritual entities live inside a physical body, the purpose of which is to absorb information and to expand our state of consciousness, not just the sensory side, but the perceptual side cognitive thinking and then up into the spiritual side to actually change and shift who we are much like the pupae into the butterfly. You go from the caterpillar into the butterfly, we transform to a very different kind of being in a much higher state of consciousness which then transcends this world and so be part of being also transcendent. How, how do you see all that? Well, yeah, I mean, if we're sticking with the musical theme, one of the people that I bring up routinely in my book is Carlos Santana because he talks about how music flows through everything. It's not just the vibration of the chord, it's the trees. It's the way the trees move. It's the way the sound um, of the chimes come through to us and hit our soul. And so there is some aspect of this, of what you're talking about, that I think um, many sensitives on this um, audience will be able to resonate with, is that music might be a whole other language about the human experience that helps us to transcend those boundaries that you're talking about because it's vibrational and we easily go there. I mean, you can have memories of sound. You can have memories of things that are, are smell that evoke different types of experiences. So because our sensory awareness is the first thing that develops, 
when we're born mm -hmm. and when we're in utero. It, that's why I really stuck with sensory awareness because it comes to us in these other ways that we don't necessarily feel that we're aware of, but when those things hit us, like black magic woman, we remember a time in our life and it kind of integrates the human experiences. So why wouldn't it take us into the next level? Why wouldn't it take us to the next level of consciousness and help us transcend out if music is a language? Yeah. Or any yeah, other type of language yeah. that we perceive that's sensorily based. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. You brought up uh, Carlos again. Because Carlos wrote a book about him years ago, and really, it was amazing because it was the kind of creative ability. is so unique and so powerful, like Clapton, like Dwayne Allman, like certain individuals Jeff out Beck. there. He quotes Jeff Bass. Yeah. It was a Jeff one, you know, whether Jeff it's Beck. the trees or the music comes through the sounds of the waves of the ocean or a Jeff Beck song, there's right. always, always a melody in there for him. Exactly, yeah. And Carlos was, said, was raised by his father. Of course, he was a violinist, but he was gone most of the time out performing, having apparently lots of affairs. So he was often gone from the family. So Carlos's mom and siblings were often starving, more or less, because dad might show up once a year. So Carlos was motivated to find a way to make a living. But he learned how to play guitar like a violin which is why his touch is so incredible, because with the violin, of course, she had a very fine touch using the bow and whatnot, without frets, so you have to know exactly where it is, so it's all about feel and having perfect pitch. These great musicians also have that, that unique quality of perfect pitch, where you can hear the pitch perfectly, and that's not easy to do. And they can then manufacture it on their instrument beautifully. So and it's true. Happen. I mean, and it's consistent yeah. with different musicians that they have that ability to bring you into their world. But not only are they bringing you into their world, they're bringing you into a moment of time in the world that connects to everything, to the all that is. So it's movement. It's, you know, we see great anthems during periods of unrest and discord because the human spirit comes through the artist and they channel it in a way that everybody can perceive it that's going through that human experience. Right? Buffalo Springfield. And, and any other anthem, the Beatles, I mean, they're able to channel that moment. And it's not just what they're experiencing. They're connecting to the larger, the larger, right. the so, largesse of all that yeah. sensory information mm -hmm. that's feeding into them. And then they're making that's it into, you know, their little, their taste of it for everybody else to taste it. It's right. amazing. So it, creates, it creates something very powerful in the moment, like Woodstock was a moment, which brought a lot of musicians together and really kind of changed all the music in various ways. Really, yeah, a fascinating, it powerful thing that person can do that. But Dude, folks, that also today, happened, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, folks, today, of Courtney Marchani, a fascinating book for gifts. Sense people. Please tell us, Courtney, where people can find you, find your book, and find out more about your work you're doing. Um, you can find me at Inspired Potential. .com. That's my website, and the sensitivity test is on there too for folks who wanted to figure out if they have intuition, empathy, vision, or expression. I created. Um, a test that you can take, and then I score each test myself, and I send an email for that personal touch. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to me through my website, and I'll get back to you. Okay, well, great. Well, Courtney, it's been great having you on. Thanks a lot for being here. Really appreciate it. And thank you so much, Dr. Ron. I loved our conversation. Very enlightening. Very high vibration. Well, I very much enjoyed it. And please check out our books, of course, uh, The Endless Question and whatnot, and our books are on Amazon. We'll talk about here uh you can find the endless question on Amazon Prime and our other books on Amazon. We've got some new ones coming out, which all tie to this topic of giftedness and how to bring it to the world. And thank you for all your great work. And uh, stay in touch. We'll have you on again. Thank you so much. I'd love to come back. Have a great day. All right, Corey. Thanks for being here. Take care. All God right. bless. Bye-bye. Bye. Paradise Found 2015 is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throw in a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com. If you want USA and worldwide car rentals, choose Rentacar.com. Free cancellations on most bookings, no hidden charges. They are trusted by over 4 million customers. Visit our advertiser page and click on the Rentacar banner.
Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything, and once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. This is Jack Maher from the band Feed the Kitty. It's important to support the artists you love, and you can do that and get something authentic for yourself. Rock.com has the most coveted, licensed merchandise of music, culture, and entertainment. So go to the advertiser page and click on Rock.com now. Quantum Field Psychology 2nd Edition is an astounding book on the new theory of mind. It is the first unified field theory that incorporates the influence of the mind and emotion on physical reality, the universe, and even other minds. It actually integrates all modern psychology with quantum physics, mathematics, Western, and Eastern spiritual beliefs. It's the true bridge between science and spirituality. Get your copy of Quantum Field Psychology, second edition, by Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Amazon.com. Radio your way. HealthyLife.net Well, folks, welcome back. Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shock. We just talked to the fascinating Courtney Marcassani, intriguing book about the four gifts of highly sensitive people, which is about the evolution development of sensory intelligence, which is really very, very interesting. She makes the connection between PTSD or post-traumatic stress, and you're working for many, many years with veterans and other folks, and people go through very traumatic childhoods where they're either traumatized in some way or neglected or abandoned, somehow mistreated, often pushes them into a much higher development of consciousness where they develop these specialized skills as artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, philosophers, whatever, and then are able to bring to the world something from a higher level because they shift. They're forced to shift in their consciousness a much greater state of awareness and understanding where they can understand things that are beyond the usual parlay. So if you go to a childhood where it's like, oh, I inherit and everything's nice and beautiful and happy, which is very unusual. I've seen course, over the years, tens of thousands of folks in therapy, and believe me, there are very few folks who go through this kind of childhood. There are some, at least they claim so, but they are very rare. In a way, that actually is a beautiful thing. They learn a lot of love and motivation. I've seen those who have done that. But in a way, it can also not give them the same kind of motivation a person has when they go through a very traumatic childhood. I'm not recommending trauma, obviously, but the saying that it can produce profound effects. And so a person can then create new ideas to bring to the world. Now, she talked about in her book where another idea I liked was collective. There's a collective immune system in the scientific community that combats new knowledge about consciousness, for example, as if it were a virus. So in other words, there's a certain mindset in science, just like there are in various religions, various belief systems, various philosophies, where people who ascribe those types of thoughts and beliefs think that they're right, that they have the answer that any other ideas coming along or antiquated or something which they're strongly opposed to just contradicts their belief system. And many folks, of course, think that they're right, whatever they believe, because there's an emotional fixation upon our beliefs into what's called the self-fulfilling prophecy. We constantly create what we think exists in the world around us. So we create the conditions, we meet the people, we track the events and circumstances that we put out there we track into us, and we think, aha, you see, I was right. I was right all along. So we get stuck in these delusional systems. That means false beliefs. We have certain constellations of consciousness, certain delusional fields where we blunder through life and make a lot of mistakes and fail to see what we're doing. So she said that seeing is not believing in a sense, which can certainly be true. We talk about in quantum field psychology our theory about the mind, which integrates all prior theories together with math and physics and whatnot. We talk about sensory input. And goes to sensory integration. This involves brain areas plus beyond the brain in terms of the energy fields. And it goes into association areas where different parts of the brain or different associations link up. And it goes into various classification systems in memory, so it gets memorized. up past the brain areas too, such as the hypothalamus and so forth. It gets remembered or not. 
and then there's inclusion in various sets, and sets can be built in various classes of thoughts and ideas, and certain functions are performed, that means some kind of operation can be formed upon the, the parts of those sets. Then functors are created or functions of functions. That's just kind of a, a fancy way of saying that the mind builds things up incrementally, from, like when you're building a house and the foundation, you pour the concrete, you put in the footer and whatnot, and you build upwards, you need a foundation to build upon, then you build layer upon layer upon layer until you have a complete house. This is true of what we learn in life also is we learn certain fields of study we study different aspects of it intensively, learn how it works, and integrate together into new ideas. Well, throughout history, there's been a battle going on with people fighting for higher states of consciousness and trying to bring that back to the world, the idea being it existed before in prior civilizations. We have indications that there were four prior civilizations upon Earth, at least some of which were more highly evolved, allegedly, than we are today. A lot of evidence supports that. In any case, the world or people of the world destroyed themselves, destroyed civilizations many times through blundering, through ego, through greed, through power, through wars, which results in earth flooding and earthquakes and who knows what they set off. In any case, there are many great parallels told in the ancient mysteries about these kinds of experiences. For example, in the, the Old Testament or the original Bible, some claim was written many thousands of years before Christ that Moses, which he came later, about 1,500 years was before Christ, who led his people out of Egypt. Well, Egypt is a metaphor meaning darkness. He led his people out of the darkness of lower consciousness. And the Ten Commandments was given to help people stay on a higher path of realization. So whether he actually led them from the physical place now called Egypt or not, it's debatable. It might be true. But it's certainly a very powerful metaphorical story that... People need to be led out of the darkness of delusion, just like today. The darkness is back in certain areas. We need to help folks wake up to a higher light. It is happening worldwide. Uh, Joseph Campbell talked about that hero's journey, and it really tapped into something extremely powerful there because it really metaphorizes this, this quest for higher consciousness by people throughout the ages. And it talked about, if you mentioned in the book also, the lives of various avatars and whatnot. And Campbell talks about and this hero's journey started in a certain path of life, you have certain psychological problems or physical problems holding you back. You hit a certain inciting incident and knock you off on a new course, like we talked about the trauma near Clapton's childhood, as an example. You can set him on a new course to learn guitar, to express his emotions. And along the way, he had various blockages that came along and various problems came up, which he had to then deal with to make various self-revelations, which taught him various things. He'd taken the music to a higher and higher level, which he's done throughout his life. So the hero's journey, the hero goes on a journey, and every opponent we meet on that journey is a projection of ourself at some level. It's a projection of what we've created in our lives that blocks us. So we're constantly blocking ourselves, so we learn to work through those blocks, release them, to release a higher energy of perception, which eventually teaches us that we are doing the self-fulfilling prophecy, that we are therefore energy beings, we are creating our worlds ourselves, we therefore have great power that we learn to tap into the four gifts he's talking about, which are, again, empathy, intuition, expression, and vision that you can bring forth and control these energies coming through you and then use them as an artist would to kind of create the fabric of your life, the landscape of your life or the mindscape of your life. You should create your life as you will. We're doing it all the time. We just don't realize it. But we can do it by direction and by selection, by understanding how these processes work. And some examples given, of course, are a Buddha, Christ, Dianesis, Arapagate, Teresa of Avila, many great, uh, the Sufi mystical poet Rumi, certainly uh, great masters throughout history have integrated the world, as it were, to a higher level of perception and creativity, and some claims even do things which would transform the physical world in various ways. They tapped into a higher level of divine consciousness and brought that forth into their lives in order to teach the world that all of us have that power inside us. All of us have vastly creative power, vastly beyond anything we've imagined before. There's a lot of ancient metaphysical text folks about that which supports that contention. In any case, we're talking on this show, Mind Shock, on a weekly basis, to talk about these very ideas, various ideas. We have a film out called The Endless Question, which is somewhat controversial. It's a two-hour documentary talking about the various concepts of quantum field psychology, a whole new approach which shows how it integrates our lives and the world around us in a very different way. It's based on a book, Quantum Field Psychology, published in 2004, written in the Italian Alps. 
You have other books out, Eight Days to Create a Power, also The Inner Manager and I Love You God, all which are on Amazon, and also are now being uploaded to our website, www.drrondalrimple2.com. www.drrondalrimple2.com. You can get them as PDF downloads from the website here in the very very near future. Our new books about mind games called Mind Games People Play, which is the adversary or the enemy, as it were, of our higher conscious states within ourselves and for some other people. In the case, our object is to help bring ideas to the world, help folks realize we're far more than anything we at first imagined. We need to transform this planet now to raise it up to a higher level while we still have the opportunity before mankind might again self-destruct. We don't want that. So, folks... Thanks a lot for being here. We love you all for being here. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week. More fascinating gifts and ideas on Mind Shock. Stay with us. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.